0: Good morning everybody, or good afternoon everybody, whatever it is you get your podcast fix. My name is Derek Smith, and this is the Truth or Derek show, or the Truth or Derek podcast. Tell it whatever you want. Uh, You know, thank you, as always, for the downloads and all that sort of stuff, you know. And I've said before, if you don't want to listen to me, skip ahead to the interview. And if you do, well, then, welcome aboard again. Thank you for the download. And uh, believe me, we are getting into it today, because my guest is none other than the FBI's best, Mr. Frank Gluzy. He was the Assistant Director of Counterintelligence, uh, at the FBI, doing a whole bunch of um, investigations, espionage investigations, and everything. So, this is one smart cookie. You're not going to want to miss this. He actually has his own podcast too. If you want to check it out, it's called The Bureau with Frank Vigluzzi. I definitely uh, suggest you check it out because he does get a ton of downloads on that because the podcast is fantastic. Uh, he also has a best-selling book, and I believe he's working on another one. But the first one is called The FBI Way. You follow him on Twitter at Frank One. And you can go to www.frankleglouzy.com for all things Frank Again, the guy is terrific. So definitely uh, head over there and check him out. But he's going to stop by here and we're going to talk about a whole bunch of stuff a little bit, uh, a little bit later on. But uh, I do have some stuff to get to, including, do you guys like podcasting? Because <laughs> if you do and you're a podcast host, then get ready to take your podcasting career to the next level with www.podstars.net. Podstars is a talented and passionate community that will give you the opportunity to interview top professionals from a variety of industries, where they will share their insights and experiences with your audience. Plus, everyone will have access to the exclusive celebrity catalog featuring some of the best in the business, both new and established. And I might add, that includes uh, Mr. Figluzi, who we're talking to uh, shortly podstars is also free to join as a member of podstars you can choose from the catalog of celebrities to interview on your podcast if interested for an additional monthly fee of only $8.99 a month you can upgrade to the community plan it's a completely different and exciting catalog full of some of the best experts and professionals in your fields as well as access to everyone in the whole podstars universe it is a great way to invest in your podcast as so you will save time and money by being able to book guests from one platform with an expansive catalog that is constantly being added to. You. So why wait? Join www.podstars.net now and start exploring all that they have to offer. You will not want to miss out on this amazing opportunity to elevate your podcasting career and be a part of the exciting community. <laughs> I know every time I read that ad, you guys might hear me smiling a little bit through it. It's just because I always get near the end and then I just I almost trip on it. But yeah, so definitely head over to www.podstars.net now and uh, again, check it out. A lot of cool stuff happening over there. Always adding new guests and again, today's guest is over there. What I'm to do first a lot of feedback, a lot of positive feedback. You guys loved Cheryl McCollum last week. I just wanted to read a couple of them. One was, um, uh, wow, another home run. I love listening to Cheryl Mac McCollum uh, talk about her work. I could have listened for a couple more hours. And I loved her voice. It's funny, the last uh, two of the last three guests uh, we've had were both from Georgia. So uh, you guys are getting used to the southern drawl, I guess, we're throwing out there on the Truth or Dare show. Another, uh, another feedback from uh, Dave D., Says, uh, could you please have her back? Uh, Cheryl was a fantastic guest, but I'd love to hear some of the CSI techniques on some specific cases rather than just in general. Yeah, that's a great idea. I'd love to have her back. Um, It's kind of difficult to try to figure out what to do uh, in the next couple of weeks because I am getting a lot of feedback where I'm always saying, you know what, next week we'll talk about this, next week we'll talk about this, and so on. (laughs) And uh, I haven't been able to get to it. So Maybe next week or the week after, we'll just kind of have like a clearing episode. If you guys can uh, stand listening to me for an hour straight, we can just go through all that because I have all your emails and all your uh, DMs and all that, just asking about food and the top tens and some stories and the podstar stuff and uh, why that guy from Sons of Anarchy hates me. <laughs> we'll get into that a little bit down the road, though. Um, there was a there was a couple of things I remember when I first uh, started doing research for the whole uh, podcast. Again, a lot of true crime stuff came up, number one, and that's why we were interested in talking to lawyers and stuff like that. Uh, number two, oddly enough, I told you, was food. Uh, like, so much so that I had to tell people, like, this isn't a, a cooking show, but, uh, you know, we, we like to talk about everything. You guys know. We, we love to mix it up. And uh, I actually do believe there is some uh, five-star or some Michelin-star chefs on PodStars, so maybe if we do do doo-doo a food episode maybe we can have one of those guys on there as it gives us some tips and tricks and all that sort of thing so i don't know again give me uh let's see how this uh, let's see how today goes because again I'm, I'm really excited to get to mr Figluzi and then um yeah again we're gonna see where it goes but i definitely i promise you in the next week or two we will have a clearing episode where you get to listen to me rattle on for an hour but We'll clear out all the questions and all that sort of stuff. And then, uh, yeah, give me whatever you guys want to talk about, and then we can pick up fresh after that. So, again, feel free to reach out to me any way you want. Any of those messaging things, just uh, Google The Truth or Derek Show. I'm on Twitter. Um, my Instagram I'm not great with, but I am on there. But you can send me messages through the the podcast website and everything. I'm relatively easy to find. So, yeah, again, positive, negative, it uh, doesn't matter. I can take it. Always reach out to me. Let me know what you think. So as I was saying, shortly after (laughs) True Crime and Food, a lot of people wanted to talk a lot of conspiracy stuff, which I love. Very well versed in that. And, you know, a lot of opinions. I've educated myself on a lot of different things. But that being said, it was a while ago. So around the time when conspiracy was a big thing, I think just before True Crime, Jesse Ventura had a television show now. Uh, He also had a book, and I know right around the time the show came out, somebody bought me the book, and it was fantastic. The television show was fantastic, too. Now, where the the whole thing with being a a fan of Jesse Ventura, which I am, was he's not like some of these, you know, I don't want to use the word crackpot, but just some of these people, you know, like, I've been abducted by aliens, and now I'm an expert on the paranormal, which I was going to say, if you're getting abducted by aliens, there's no way they're bringing you back. Like, you know, people go missing all the time. That would only, you know, leave them open for, <laughs> I was going to say open for a lawsuit, but obviously open to you coming back and telling your story and them getting figured out. So, you know, if there's somebody that was telling me about a conspiracy that was selling, saying they got abducted by aliens, I, I might be a little trepidatious to believe them. The reason I like the whole Jesse Ventura thing is uh, a lot of people, uh, you know, you might be familiar with him from being a wrestler an actor and Predator, one of the greatest movies ever made. He was also, in the beginning of his career, he was a Navy SEAL, but, like, a badass Navy SEAL. Like, uh, he actually, he was a frogman. And he'll tell you some of the stories. I mean, I'd love to get him on here. I know he's not on the site now, but uh, if he knows we're talking about him, (laughs) we start to get popular uh, because this guy would blow your mind. So, like, he was, like, a you know, super, super into the um, Navy SEAL thing. And then obviously he had a a good career with the WWE. I know he commentated football. He played football and uh, ultimately was the governor of Minnesota. So he's one of these guys, if he's got something to say, if he's got a conspiracy that he thinks we should know about, he would be the one to ask. When the whole conspiracy thing came across my desk for this, I thought, you know what? I'd love to bring up some of those topics. That was a little while ago. I think that book came out probably in the early 2000s and the TV show maybe in the mid 2000s. So I wanted to make sure I didn't sound like a dinosaur because I'm sure some things have happened since then. So I, <laughs> I googled what like conspiracy theories now. So I'm just trying to make a list of everything down the middle, so you know I could talk about something that will appeal to the younger crowd and the older crowds. the The first conspiracy theory that came up was is the Earth flat. <laughs> you know, I don't want to be the first person to tell you this, but it's not. It's just one of those things. You've seen pictures of it. I've flown around it. Like, I know for a fact, I've flown around it in the daytime underneath the clouds. I've seen, you know, not the edge. <laughs> and again, funny, that being said, as soon as I came across that, I thought, you know what? Because I, I, I don't know what they think. Like, is it flat, like, at the equator? Like, would you see, like, water pouring off the end? I mean the fact that the water stays on the earth to begin with is amazing. What with gravity and uh, the tides going up and down with the moon phases and everything like that is just amazing to begin with, but if it was flat. The space would be filling up with water. Like I just, again, I really hope there's nobody out. I know there was uh two or three years ago. There was an NBA player that I wish I couldn't remember what his name was. I'll put, I'll, I'll put it in the comments after that donated a hundred thousand dollars to flat earth research, which a, who's ever running the flat earth research program is a genius. If people are kicking you that kind of money, because you could probably just sit back and just say, Oh yeah, you know what? We're going to, we're going to try to figure out, well, you know, <laughs> we're going to go walk to the edge and take a picture hanging off the side. <laughs> but uh, even that person, you know what? I, 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 I did reach out to a couple of them because again, I had some, um, some technical questions. Like basically I'm assuming that the equator would be the edge, where there's like there's countries and there's boats that go across that equator every minute of every day, and nobody's again with this, the way social media and cameras and everything are now. And there is pictures from space. I mean, it's just it's round. I, I get I hate to I really hate to bust your bubble if you were if you're a huge fan. You're thinking ah, you know, Derek's gonna he's gonna come on the flat Earth side. I'm not. I'm I, I'm sorry to disappoint, but. Uh, this big old earth of ours is round and i I just uh you know (laughs) it might be a tough pill to swallow but hey you know the earth is pretty good and i think the whatever they're doing with it right now is good and i think it's okay being round, so we should probably just leave it alone (laughs) yeah going through all that i remember uh some of the ones that uh mr ventura was talking about was like the assassination of Malcolm X, um, Martin Luther King jr's murder, uh, Robert Kennedy, uh, Robert Kennedy's murder, uh, the Jonestown stuff. I mean, there was a lot of really interesting stuff, you know, obviously some stuff on September 11th, which, uh, we're going to talk to Frank about, uh, Mr. Figluzzi about a little bit later. Cause, uh, he was actually, uh, active in committee. Like his resume is insane. So you, you guys are going to really enjoy this. And again, it would have been a nice, um, a a nice kind of parlay off of what we're talking about now to kind of roll into that. But uh, you know, the the second one that came up (laughs) for conspiracy theories was uh, COVID-19, whether it was um, uh, some sort of of thing for 5g to put computer chips and all that sort of thing inside of you, (laughs) which again, I hate to burst your bubble, but we all have computer chips on us. It's our phones. And especially if you look, uh, I always joke when you're watching TV shows. They're like, you don't read the terms and conditions. In those terms and conditions, they can do whatever they want. And you know what? Okay, there's a lot of Big Brother, all that sort of thing. But you don't have to worry about it. There's, you know, you have tens of thousands, tens of thousands of messages on your phone across billions of people with phones and stuff. Do you really think anybody has the time to go through that information? They're going to figure out if you're sending sexy pictures or. Dirty jokes and all that around like they're not so you don't have to worry about a big brother too much looking into your phone. And for those people that are out there that are up to some really bad stuff, you know what? I'm for it because, uh, again, when we talk to Mr. Figluzzi later, you're going to find out that there is a lot of stuff uh, going around. I was really surprised with the whole September 11th thing that there was a lot of intel ahead of time that was pointing to something bad was going to happen and not particularly that. But, yeah, so, uh yeah, back to COVID-19 being a scam. COVID-19 was just, it was a horrible, a horrible thing that happened. A lot of people got sick. A lot of people died. And that's just what it was. There was no <laughs> computer chips in your brain or, and all this. Like, you know, I got the shots mainly because, uh, you know, we have, like, a, a lot of meetings and stuff. We have to go to a lot of office buildings and they had that. But, like, I am just on the side of science. You know, I, I. Like anybody, I don't like being told what to do. But if, if, if the government says, listen, you know, we spent a lot of money on this, you have to get this shot, arrange this and all that, and it'll make you healthy and you live a long time. And, I mean, it worked a lot with the other ones between tetanus and uh, rubella and God knows what else they give you when you're younger and all that sort of thing. I mean... <laughs> growing up, if there was a rusty nail anywhere, believe me, I stepped on it. The same science people that figured that out will figure out other stuff to keep me safe and uh, keep me healthy moving forward. You know what? Sign me up. I'll roll up my sleeve. Why not? Although that being said, it, was, um, it wasn't it was so much the, the COVID shots. I remember during that, we were just all about trying to stay healthy. Uh, my wife uh, set me up at a grocery store. I think I got one of my COVID shots at a grocery store too, but my wife set me up at... Uh, at like a, a, a really kind of shady grocery store for one. And I remember sitting there, you know, I'd roll up my sleeve and all that sort of thing. And the person came over and they had like really shaky hands and it kind of looked like they were like looking at like the instructions that came with the needle. Like I was the first one they'd ever given it to. <laughs> yeah. I just remember it, it, it hurt like hell um, going in and it hurt like hell for a couple of weeks where I really appreciated with some of the vaccination centers with COVID that you actually had nurses and stuff on staff. It was like i don't love needles it's just something about that and something about the dentist is just ooh, it's not for me but um uh, yeah like again loyal swords soldier and uh my dad has lung problems and i like to see him and uh my mom has lung problems and it's like i can't imagine the guilt if you were walking around uh carrying covid whether you knew it or not and then ended up uh, passing it to somebody who made them really sick or in the worst case scenario passed away so yeah, you got rolled that up. Never thought of the conspiracy for a second, because again, if the government really wants to track you or you're up to some bad activity and all that sort of th- stuff, they're not going to need a microchip that was shot into your bloodstream. <laughs> so again, um, the earth is round and you probably did not get a computer chip uh, shot into your arm if you got a COVID shot. So there's two less things you have to see. We're teaching, we're learning lessons on the Truth or Derek show today. We're talking to the FBI, and we're teaching everybody some lessons. Now, what's interesting was the third one that came up on both uh, on both categories was the moon landing. Now, this one, I think it has a little bit of steam to it because, like, did we land on the moon? Uh, maybe, probably. I mean, where I could see both sides of the argument was if it was fake, I think the truth would have come out by now. Uh, I I think that's way too big of a conspiracy to try to keep under wraps between, you know, a bunch of different astronauts, probably a bunch of different photographers, uh, set design people. Just there would have been way too many people involved with it to keep it a secret for this long. Because, you know, usually when there's a secret that's kept for that long, one person goes broke and uh, writes a book or just rats everybody else out for a payday. I do remember that was a great uh, scene from that show, Ozark. Uh, after they steal Jason Bateman's money, and he finds them, and he's like, "Which one of you is the weak one? Which one of you uh, that it's going to spend all your money first because you're weak and you're going to be poor and you're going to rat the other ones out? That's usually what happens in in these situations, whether there's five people involved or whether there's a hundred. It, it would be way too big of a secret to keep. Now that being said, a lot of people don't know that. I think it was only a two year time span between Apollo One and um the one that actually landed on the moon and uh the horrifying story of apollo one um just during a test uh just during a test pattern the three astronauts were actually burned to death inside the unit i mean if you look at all the facts with all the pictures and the flags waving and all that sort of thing okay yeah some of that is somewhat you know factual and believable but If you look at like they just they didn't have the technology then like we barely have the technology now. Like, you know, Elon Musk is, um, you know, people are paying 10 million dollars to fly up into space. You don't think if he could land on the moon and charge 30 million that he'd be doing it. Even when uh, I believe George W. Bush, it was his first first term in office in the first year or two uh, when NASA had the money and all that sort of thing. They were planning like a 25 year trip to go back to the moon. And the first thing I thought of was, you know, if you've already done it, why is it going to take you 25 years to do it again? I mean, and they had sponsors, they were going to build a dom- <laughs> They were going to build a Domino's pizza on the moon. You have to google that if you guys haven't heard about that because I think they were going to pay like 30 or 40 million dollars to put a Domino's on the moon. Yeah, if you just look at all that just based purely on the technology. I mean, if you look at a lot of the pictures, there's a lot of facts. I mean, there's a lot of people that have made a lot of great arguments on both sides of it. But it's just, you know, if you're if you're measuring that up on the list of uh conspiracies okay the earth is round that much i'm sure of uh i do not uh the covid-19 they they wanted to put a computer chip in my blood so they can control my brain and like fi- they said 5g i just thought that was like faster internet that was av- <laughs> that was available in like more parts of the country like who wouldn't be for that I, if, if faster internet available out there you know what just sign me up I don't think they have to put a computer chip in your bloodstream to accomplish that. But again, what do I know? So that one there, I was like, no, that's a hard no. I don't worry about that. And then came the moon landing, number three. And I was like, "Mm, you know, I could definitely see both sides of that argument. A, technology-based, I don't think they were anywhere near it. And B, that was like a part of time when the the country was very uh, much at war with uh, Russia, just about... Again, not so much about the war, but about technology and who's smarter and who's faster and more advanced, kind of a, for lack of a better term, a pissing contest between two different governments. And you know what? They were getting pretty darn close. and We were getting pretty darn close. So you know what? If you figured you could do it, why not just, you know, push your, push your pieces forward a little bit. So yeah, again, it's one of those things where, you know, I I just, um, I'll get into it. I'll, I'll, I'll pick out the best five pro and con for it. Uh, but yeah, again, shoot me some messages. Let me know what you guys think or pictures or facts and all that sort of thing. And I'll bring it all up. I know we have a lot to discuss on an episode when I don't have a guest, but the guests last, the last couple of weeks have been amazing. You guys love Joshua Schiffer. You guys love Kirk Nurmi. Cheryl McCollum was an absolute home run. And I'm telling you right now, Frank Figluzzi, this guy is top shelf. Again, you've probably seen him on TV. He's on uh, NBC. He's on MSNBC. He writes some of these brilliant articles. Um you can YouTube it. But again, if you go to his website or follow him on Twitter, he gets all of his stuff up live. He does uh he's on the show with uh, Alicia Mon- uh, Menendez. Menendez, sorry. And he's also on a show with uh, Nicole Wallace, um where they talk a lot about a little bit of politics, mostly about news and stuff like that, but like a a, a more knowledgeable guy you will not find. Uh I really want to get to that, but I promise, promise, promise. I know I've been saying this for the last four weeks. I am going to get to everything that I've been promising you guys. <laughs> it's in the next two weeks. So just bear with me. But uh in the meantime, uh it's Monday. I hope you're not wearing socks. Cause if you put socks on today, we're yeah, we are gonna blow them off because that's how good this is gonna be. So uh, you know, let's get to it. Well, our next guest needs no introduction. He is the national security contributor for NBC News and MSNBC. He is the host of the Bureau Podcast, available everywhere. He is the author of the best-selling book The FBI Way and the former assistant director of counterintelligence at the FBI. I'm honored to welcome the great Frank Bigluzi to the show. How are you?
1: Well, I'm I'm fine, Derek, and I'm glad I could do this, but um, you know, introducing me as the great is is uh is a bit uh, humbling here. So, uh, I appreciate that. Rema- hey, have, I don't know if you've seen the uh, Hulu TV series The Great about the uh about the R- Russia's uh, Catherine the Great, but it's hysterical. it's hysterical. I
0: have it's fantastic. Well, yeah. it doesn't. I introduce you as the Great. All you have to do there's no pressure. Just say something great in the next forty minutes or so.
1: I hey, no, no pressure, right? Okay, no pressure. <laughs> okay. Uh,
0: so yeah, I, li- I always okay. kind of like to start at the beginning and all that. And just with your job in general, I mean, I just it's fascinating to me that you know one day if you look at what the FBI does, you're like investigating a major financial crime. And uh, the next, I know for you, you were actually the on-scene commander uh, a week after 9-11 in Florida when anthrax was discovered at the National Enquirer office. So my question is, is there something you do to prepare for walking into that situation? Like, I I don't understand that lands on your desk and then you just, you have to go and figure it out.
1: There's a lot of that in the FBI. And quite frankly, that's part of what attracted me to the job. Uh, I... I don't like the idea of same thing, you know, same old stuff, different day kind of thing. (laughs) Um, That sense of adventure, of learning something new, sometimes every day or week, is appealing. Now, that's not to say that there aren't specialists in the FBI. Of course they are, and thank God there are people who spend entire careers in white-collar crime or in counterintelligence or violent crime. That's, That's fantastic, and often is the norm in many field offices on squads but but the fbi makes a real effort to rotate you around particularly early in your career so you can find your way learn the system and then when you get into management the higher up you go in responsibility and roles the more you're expected to become a generalist um you know because the concept is really if you can do leadership if you can learn leadership you can learn Uh, how to apply skill sets to just about anything and so you know you mentioned a very good example of that what happens when something breaks that you've never seen before we've never seen an anthrax murder inside the united states and that's what we had to deal with as you say just days after the 9 11 attack so um, how do you get through that I, i actually devote a chapter to that, it's deliberately the last chapter of my book, The FBI Way, and the chapter is entitled Consistency. The concept being, you get through uncharted waters, unprecedented times, by sticking to what got you um, to where you are in the first place. So what, what do I mean by that? In the anthrax case, we could have thrown up our hands and said, hey, we've never seen an anthrax attack before, We've never uh, gathered evidence of microscopic anthrax spores that killed somebody inside a three-story building. We don't know how to do this. There must be some way that we need to figure it out.
0: Clear the building, de- clear the building out, and burn it to the ground, sort of thing.
1: Well, yeah, right. We we can't possibly figure this out because we've never seen it before. If you have that attitude in life, you're going to be in trouble, right? So you've got, to, <laughs> you've got to go back to you know dance with the one that brought you, kind of thing. So yeah you know, what we asked ourselves was, is this a crime scene? Yeah, it is a crime scene. And we do crime scenes really well. Is it a murder scene? Yes, it is. And we've done plenty of those in the history of the FBI. Is it a hazardous materials crime scene? Are we going to be operating in a hazmat environment? Yes, we are. Are we trained to do that? Yeah, we are. So, you know, the solution was not To run in the other direction but rather to embrace what we already knew find those similarities and go with it and i i give that advice to anybody who's facing an unprecedented situation some would say our country the united states is facing an unprecedented situation right now
0: stick with seems like it is on the daily nowadays
1: indeed right and so what i keep telling people is stick with what got us here, you know, democracy, the Constitution, four, three equal branches of government, the rule of law. This is something we can get through if we stick to our values.
0: Yeah, I mean, again, unprecedented. So I did. we just talked about 9-11 and, and speaking of like your job, obviously you show up for anthrax and as you're learning about it, you learn how dangerous it is. And then uh, we were speaking a little while ago and you were saying that another FBI agent just uh, passed away. Um, one of the people that was in charge of sorting through some of the evidence from the nine the eleven, the World Trade Center site. So, it, again, with your job, it's like you know, I'm thinking I'm, I'm working an anthrax case, but are you thinking twenty years down the road, you know, I'm going to have cancer and this is how I'm going to die?
1: No, sadly, I think more precautions would have been taken, um, certainly at the nine eleven crash sites because the unbelievable statistic now, Derek, is that more people have died from exposure to working the crash sites than died actually on September 11th from the attack
0: directly. Unbelievable.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and so um, many of those, of course, are New York City police officers. Uh, very, very many are firefighters from uh, FDNY, Uh, first responders, rescue personnel, et cetera. But I think what the public doesn't really know is that those deaths, even last week, week before, um, an agent, retired agent, passed away from cancer, um, is that certain cancers and respiratory ailments have been linked to working those crash sites and and the toxic environment of burning jet fuel and the, the toxic debris that you those people were inhaling. And, and so we're at at least 21 FBI employees so far that have passed away from uh, exposure on evidence collection teams at uh, one or more of the three sites from
0: 9-11. Which, again, is fascinating, because you think, you know, even uh, when the after it happened, it was, you know, the heroic first responders, the heroic police, the heroic FDNY, and all that. And you don't really realize that, okay, you're not just putting your life on the line by running into a burning building. Uh, You could die as a result of that a year later. And it just, it's mind-blowing.
1: Someone had to sift through the evidence. A federal crime had occurred. International terrorism had happened. And um, someone had to put that all together. Someone had to try to identify bodies, pieces of airplanes, find the hijackers. Was there a bomb? Where was it on the aircraft, all in a, an extremely toxic soup of debris. And, um, you know, even though people wore masks at times and took some precautions, the reality is that it was overwhelming to the systems. And now, you know, we have medical science that's told us, yeah, the, the following types of cancers are in fact linked to those sites. And what that means for law enforcement. Um, and for the FBI particularly, is those are designated line of duty deaths. And that, you know, it doesn't bring much comfort to the remaining family members, but it does come with some benefits, um, some death benefits. And so I applaud all the agencies who are recognizing that had done that for the past 22 years.
0: Yeah, I, I know I know that was uh, in the beginning a struggle for a lot of the the families of the police officers because it was basically like, you know, not so much that there's no money here. It's like, you know, was this the case? Was it not the case and all that? But I, I know that just from reading and knowing what I know. It has been somewhat straightened out. Some of the families are, I mean, it's a, it's a sad thing, but you know, at the end of the day, if you can, you know, a little bit of money does maybe help mend it a bit.
1: <laughs> of course. And, and I, I just, you know, when, when this uh, co- former colleague of mine passed away a couple of weeks ago, I, I couldn't help but put that in the context of people, some people in the United States calling to defund the FBI or dismantle the
0: FBI. They see it every day.
1: Yeah. You know, and I think, you know, uh, do you understand that, that these people sacrifice their lives every day and are still sacrificing their lives from something that happened 22 years ago, just because they did their job trying to secure the nation.
0: And I, I've, you bring up a great point with uh, working with the FBI and people talking about trying to defund it. Because um, one of the people that we both follow, uh, uh, Jennifer Coffendaffer, even pointed out the entry level FBI jobs are not that well paying jobs. Like a lot of people that are drawn to this branch of law enforcement actually have a passion for it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no one goes into public service uh, to get wealthy, for sure. I'll make a
0: million dollars overnight. No, doesn't, the government.
1: That doesn't happen. And that's not what motivates people. In fact, quite honestly, many, many FBI personnel are coming uh, to the Bureau from second, you know, as a second or third career. They, they've they tried, you know, teaching or Wall Street finance or whatever. And um, they're they're realizing they're not a part of something bigger. They're not they're not being professionally or personally satisfied by the mission mm-hmm. or, or they lack a mission entirely. And so, in fact, you know, we're talking about 9-11. In fact, people signed up in droves to uh, to join the FBI and the intelligence community because they felt they they wanted to be a part of something greater than themselves.
0: To actually be able to make a real difference.
1: That's right and you do you you truly do. it's a very satisfying career it's not for everybody. Um, you know I in fact I just use the word career but I tell young people interested that it's really not a career. it's a vocation. it's a calling. you know there's no nine to five, there's no holidays and weekends you just you know crime doesn't take a holiday to use it day. <laughs> The, crash, right. the, you know, the crash is
0: going to stop at five o'clock on Friday, and it's going to pick right. back right. up at eight thirty on Monday
1: morning. Yeah, that surveillance—that surveillance that in surveillance a kidnapping does it. <laughs> oh, five o'clock, got to end the surveillance. That doesn't <laughs> work, doesn't work that way. Um,
0: one last thing, I was just about nine eleven because again, doing my homework for this, and I'm, I'm finding out more and more that the intelligence community that knew something was coming together, something bad. If you look back on all of that. It was. What is it? One of those impossible puzzle, puzzles to try to put together. And knowing what you know now, like, do you know more now about putting a puzzle together about something bad that might be coming down the pipe?
1: Wow, what a great question that many people have wrestled with over the years. Um, as I write about in my book, the intel community did. Did without a doubt have a sense that something big, something iconic was in the works. They heard the chatter on the intercepts overseas and they realized there were references to something big happening soon. Um, They knew it was going to be Al Qaeda, but I I think in part there was a failure of the imagination. Um, And I've seen this. Throughout my career, people in corporate life will tell you they, you know, risk managers will talk about the so-called black swan event—the event that you can't really imagine or is so rare, so rare that you don't even bother thinking about it or planning for it. And the idea of using aircraft as weapons um, was almost dismissed um, by at FBI headquarters, even when field offices famously. Minneapolis and Phoenix um, communicated with headquarters and said, "Look, we have we have very suspicious characters who are taking flight lessons, and some of them just want to know how to take off. They don't yeah. want to know how to land." And I and I think you know that kind of fell on deaf ears to some respect, um, or just went nowhere in terms of fleshing it out. And some of that's a failure of imagination, and you you've got to, particularly when you're part of a huge bureaucracy. I mean, let's be real: Federal Bureau of Investigation has. Bureau as its middle name for bureaucracy. When you're part of that, you've got to work really hard to break out of that corporate mindset and think outside the box. And I, I, I by the way, I think something similar happened. I, don't, I know we didn't lose 3000 people on January 6th at the US Capitol, but you know, that same kind of failure to see what's right in front of you, failure to read the tea leaves that are clearly there. Yeah. Imagine that um, uh, fellow Americans would pose that kind of uh, violent risk to uh, the peaceful transfer power. I, I think that also was a failure, not of intelligence, because the intelligence was there, but rather a failure to imp- apply the intelligence that was there.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, again, a great point is you have all this information and, you know, how do you collect it? How do you put it together? Like, I, when you were the uh, the assistant director of counterintelligence i would imagine there was days where you would get twenty, thirty, forty 20 30 40 pieces of information and it was part of your job to try you know like uh, on january 3rd did they know something was going to happen on january 6th or was it like the morning of january 6th
1: so um there, the january sixth commission in uh, the u.s house of representatives has looked at all of this the doj inspector general continues to look at it and Clearly, there were a couple of field offices, uh, most uh, specifically Norfolk, Virginia, that where an intelligence analyst warned uh, that there could be violence coming for January 6th. There were other indicators. Um, And I, I, you know, there's a lot of things going on here in terms of piecing the puzzle together and, and really looking for the big picture and not being stuck on. Again, bureaucratic think would say, oh, well, the FBI is not in the job of protecting buildings. We don't protect the Capitol. That's the Capitol Police, right? We don't do that. Oh, the FBI, the FBI is not responsible for uh, a peaceful, seemingly peaceful rally. That sounds like Capitol Police. That sounds like uh, U.S. Park Police in the area outside the White House. Uh, that's not us. You know, the big picture is actually, no, of course, it, it, the FBI is a counterterrorism agency. The FBI is Swears to protect, preserve, defend the Constitution. That certainly includes the peaceful transfer of power. And I remind people that for the soup, things like the Super Bowl, things like July 4th fireworks at the Capitol Mall, you know, it, in, in DC on July 4th, we often will declare a national security special event. It's all hands on deck.
0: I, I remember you—you you told me about that when they had the World Series. Uh, that there was, yeah. a, there was a large FBI presence up uh, leading up to that.
1: Yeah, it's a special event. You—you you gather intel, you collect uh, intelligence from your sources, um, and I don't—I don't think that happened. And I—I I, I think there's this fear of of politics. Oh, we don't get involved in politics. Well, yeah, but you do get involved in, in cleaning up the aftermath of terrorism. So, um, I hope the lessons have been learned. <laughs> The good news is the lessons were learned after 9 11. International terrorism, boy, did things change, right? We we, we had the US Patriot Act. Um, oh, big time. Choice. We shifted, in, uh, created a whole huge agency called the Department of Homeland Security um, and consolidated agencies under one roof from Coast Guard to Secret Service to Border Patrol and TSA. And, and so I hope that on the domestic front, although the challenges are far greater with domestic terror, um, I hope the lessons have been learned and that the FBI is out leading the charge to prevent something bad from happening again.
0: Well, and that's with the whole, after September 11th, uh, you know, with everyone's pissing and moaning uh, that there's a three hour wait, there's a four hour wait at the airport and all that sort of thing, where the whole time you're like, these are people bending over trying to help you and trying to help keep you safe. And it's just, I haven't, you know, it's just, it's a headache. Yes. But on the other hand, it's like, Thank you to you people, and thank you to Homeland Security, and thank you for everybody, because I don't think a lot of people realize that you just said. They started new branches. They started new areas. They started working overtime. They hired new people. All this, the bottom line is to keep the public safe.
1: Yeah, it's not pretty when you are trying to figure it out, and you're right. You've got to have some patience in those initial weeks, months, even year. Um, Like, for example, the Patriot Act. Was not without some abuses. Um, some major city police departments decided they were going to stick human informants inside mosques, inside worship services, and listen to what was being preached. Um, not necessarily with predication to do it. <laughs> so, so you know there were abuses, um, and yeah, things had to get figured out. So yeah, I, you got to understand it's um, it's not easy changing you know, changing the direction of a ship in the middle of the ocean is, is pretty rough.
0: Well, essentially, you've told some people that like, you can do whatever you want to try to get this information. And of course, some people are going to take that and kind of run away with it.
1: Yeah, yeah, there there were abuses that were unacceptable. But yet in the context, I understand uh, somehow what what was happening. And on the domestic side, look, it's it's even more challenging. I'll tell you, the FBI is tasked with preserving civil civil liberties, freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, at the same time, making the country as secure as it possibly can without infringing on those rights. And some people think, well, that's those are mutually exclusive. You can't do both at the same time. I say you can. You got to work through it. And, um, you know, it's funny because when something horrible happens, the first thing you'll hear some people say is, well, is not the FBI listening to everybody? Don't they see all of our chats on, <laughs> online? And aren't they everywhere on Twitter and and in Facebook and and private chat rooms? And the answer is, of course, they're not. And and they don't. We don't want them to be there. That's the that's the issue. Yeah. Um, the challenge, of course is um, the laws aren't the same with regard to domestic versus international terrorism. And we, t- we treat it very differently, and I get that, and I respect the Constitution. I spent 25 years working under an oath to preserve the Constitution, and we need to do it. We also need to figure out how to get in the dark places before uh, something bad happens in what we call left of boom. you want You want to get in on the action left of boom, left of the bomb, going off. And that is the challenge while still preserving civil liberties.
0: Yeah. And it's, again, like you, you just said uh, about, you know, (laughs) are you looking at everybody's pictures and everybody's texts, which obviously is an impossible job. I mean, uh, last week on the show, we had uh, Cheryl McCollum, uh, a CSI, uh, like award-winning CSI person. And they were even saying in the one case with the, uh, the Long Island serial killer, Mm -hmm. It's, it's, there's teams and teams and teams going through just this one person's life kind of from start to finish and his vacations and this and that, where, you know, if you were in charge of something as big, I'm not saying 9-11, I'm just saying you hear chatter that something's going to happen. Again, there's way too much information for one person or even one team to be able to sift through it from start to finish.
1: Well, and again, um, the law doesn't permit that. And I don't think we want the law permitting that. The challenge, of course, is we're in a situation where we almost have to wait for the bad thing to happen or um, run as fast as we possibly can toward the threat. When we finally realize what's being planned, we're also in the unfortunate position of having to rely sometimes on bad folks to rat each other out. So, um, you (laughs) know, well, well, yeah, I mean, and by the way, this does happen. People inside these extremist chat rooms. Will often see somebody you know articulating a threat and they'll go, Wait, wait a minute, even for me, that's too much. And they'll report yeah. it.
0: You They're have one team. extremist that's looking at another extremist and saying, My God, you're crazy. Yeah,
1: this guy's gonna get us all in prison. And and then <laughs> but but think about that. Think about if you're law enforcement and and your best Your best technique is to pray to God that somebody in an extremist chat room somewhere decides to do the right thing. That's not a good position to be in. And so it's different in international terrorism if you're associated with known um, uh, groups like Al-Qaeda or Boko Haram or ISIS. You get the uh, full attention of the U.S. government and all the tools in the investigative toolkit, including informant development, wiretaps, undercover agents, etc., Um, That's not really the case in domestic terrorism. I I remind people almost ad nauseum that we still don't have a law against domestic terrorism in the United States. That's why for January 6th, for example, you see people arrested for things like trespassing, assaulting an officer, stealing um, U.S. property, uh, vandalism. Yeah, that's nice, but it doesn't reflect the gravity of why they were doing it. Those charges reflect what they did but it doesn't adequately reflect why they did it because we, there is no law against domestic terrorism. I note with great interest that um, my Canadian friends designated, not too long ago, the Proud Boys as a domestic terror organization in Canada, but we don't designate domestic terrorist groups in the United States. We have no way of doing that.
0: Is, um, the fact that it, obviously uh, the January 6th thing is domestic terrorism, I'm seeing, like, we always, you know, uh, compare it to uh, the sentence for uh, the football player, Henry Ruggs, uh, drunk driving, uh, killed a woman, got three to ten years. Now, I see a lot of these uh, sentences for some of the January six people. I'm seeing six years, eight years, 12 years, 13 years. Like, mm-hmm. is that obviously, is that the country saying, okay, we don't have, you know, something for domestic terrorism, but if you kind of pull this stuff, this is what's going to happen.
1: I do believe that prosecutors and judges are looking at this correctly in its full context. And they're saying, look, you know, trespass is one thing. Uh, interfering with a government act is nice. You know, not it's a, it's a good charge, but it doesn't reflect what you were really up to, which was to stop the peaceful transition of power. So, yes, I do think the sentences for some of these folks, not all of them, are... A, ju- reflect a judge saying, yeah, that, that's enough. Um, we're, <laughs> we need to have a deterrent effect and this is not going to be a slap on the wrist. And then thankfully, in the most serious leadership uh, positions with certain defendants in the leadership of Oath Keepers and Proud Boys, we saw charges of seditious conspiracy and we saw convictions of Oath Keepers and Proud Boys leadership for a very serious crime. I. I would argue, perhaps the second most serious crime you could be charged with in America, seditious conspiracy. And that's good. Um, That should happen.
0: Yeah, I I didn't want to talk about Trump too much because I'm not, this isn't entirely a political thing for me, but it it does, you see, it's weird. And I I was going to do this because it's not like I'm blowing smoke up your butt for anything, but growing up, it was always kind of like, you know, Democrat or Republican, you kind of wanted the best person for the job. And Mm -hmm. it does seem like in the last, you know, 15 to 20 years, it's really turned into like a war between the two sides where I look at somebody like you, uh, you know, you're patriotic, you're smart, you have great knowledge of the law and all that. Like why, you know, just for you, for example, or people like you, why aren't you drawn to politics? Because it does seem like you'd be good at it.
1: Oh, I I think I would be horrible at it. I am (laughs)
0: Do not look for Frank. <laughs> yeah, no,
1: I, look, I know that was meant in a very positive way, and I appreciate it. But I, um, I'm about as apolitical as they could come, except to say that I'm all about democracy and the Constitution, and I view the world through my national security lens. So if I see someone posing a threat or a movement posing a threat to our national security or to our democracy, uh, look out, because I'm trained to come after that. Um, and repel that. Not about politics for me. I I like to say in my career, I've supervised investigations uh, where we arrested Democrats, Republicans, and independents. And uh, I've seen corruption on both sides of the aisle. No one's got the corner on it. Um, But So it's not political uh, for me either. And so the idea of what it takes in America to run successfully for office, the kinds of money and fundraising and being beholden to people and slapping people on the back and shaking the hands and making promises to take care of this group or that group. Um, that is anathema to me,
0: not, not going to happen. Well, it does seem like you'd still be the good man for the job, whether you want it or not. (laughs)
1: I I appreciate it. I appreciate
0: it. (laughs) Um, you know, it's talking about when you were working, uh, and all the years you worked for the FBI, do you have a case that haunts you?
1: Oh boy, um, I, that's, an, that's an interesting one because you used a, an interesting word, "haunt," right? So that's it doesn't necessarily mean the hardest case, you know, it doesn't mean uh, certain complicated issues, but rather that one that just keeps sticking with you. And so, a couple of things: one is for for a mercifully brief period of my career I supervised a crimes against children squad in northern California part of the FBI San Francisco field office and at the time I had young kids my kids were young and I that's tough work that is tough work to supervise and work and see what comes across your desk and every day you think you've seen the worst that humanity is capable of in terms of exploitation of children sexual exploitation Children trafficking, child pornography. We also worked cold cases of uh, kidnapped and and murdered children that the police had tried to solve for years and couldn't do it, and then asked us for help. That stuff, um, yeah, that's haunting stuff, um, and it's not for everybody. And and certain, it was in the early days, so of the FBI even doing this, and there was some controversy inside the FBI. Hey, hey, this is toxic. We don't want to do this. The police can do this, and had to figure out the thresholds. When will we do it? When will we not do it? Because let me tell you, it's a plague. It's it's out there prolifically. So, you know, federal standards were, you know, for us, we like we talked to the U.S. Attorney's Office and San Francisco PD was very, very good at this. So we tried to partner with them and take only, you know, distribution and production cases, not mere possession cases. But that's awful stuff. And um, so there's that. And then, you know, there there was a case, I was the head of um, the FBI's Cleveland, Ohio division. So I had all of Northern Ohio. And um, come to find out, you know, there was a case that started well before I ever got there. It was, um, in fact, you know, it wasn't necessarily treated as all one case, but there were young ladies who were missing in Cleveland, the city of Cleveland. And, um, you know, I come in and I meet with um, some of the, the families of the missing kids It's again, it's an old case but there's still someone assigned to it and I go, you know what let's get a new set of eyes on this let's um, let me reassign it to a good good agent who who can really work this thing like he's just gotten it for the first time and um, we try that we try everything and it haunts the whole office that there's no solution to these, Missing girls and um, I come and go. I do four years as the head of the office. No real progress. We mark the the anniversary dates with vigils and the family and the community. I leave, and one day, uh, years later, I'm sitting at home watching the news, and come to find out that some of these girls were alive and had lived shackled. the to the floor or the ceiling of some guy's house for years in the city of Cleveland in the city of Cleveland and the guy who did this was a school bus driver and um, you know I I had to stop and go my god um, I worked in that city while this while they were entrapped Mm -hmm. while they were entrapped enslaved he impregnated at least one of the girls um and you know you you go back and go was there anything else we could have done here
0: Did I and i missed something yeah
1: yeah anything else the police department could have done and um you know you just hope that lessons are learned and applied for for similar cases
0: yeah that's wild because again Obviously, you look back and you say, did I miss something? Was there something else I could have done? Was there this? Was there that? But I guess in your job, I mean, you were an agent for, what, 25 years. Yeah. I would imagine if you went back, you know, if, if, if you had that kind of autobiographical memory where you went back through every day, you'd, you'd never get another night's sleep.
1: No, uh, sleep is an issue for many, uh, many people in the business. <laughs> and um, yeah, you can't, you have to learn to kind of turn things off uh, and um, have your life outside of the casework, but it's hard. It's really hard.
0: So my, my follow up to a case that haunts you is obviously, uh, what is one of the strangest cases? Cause I was going to ask you if you ever watched the X-Files <laughs> mm. Mm. Uh, only because, uh, I know everybody said, you know, he was the assistant director of the FBI and obviously the X-Files had one of those, but, um, outside of the X-Files, do you have something that came across your street that, that was just too strange to believe?
1: Mm. Well, um, you know, uh, there was a guy by the name of Robert Philip Hansen, who was for a year of my early supervisory career at headquarters. He was my boss. He was my unit chief for one year. And um, years later, I'm in my car driving to work in Miami, Florida, and on the news on the radio in the car comes the word that the fbi's arrested one of its own robert philip hansen for spying for 10 years for the russians mm. and I, I had to pull the car over i that that guy was my boss for a year and um, Unbelievable. yeah and and was spying for 10 years for the russians so it you know it it truly hammers home that it could happen to anyone, anywhere, and this idea of trusting everybody um, is great and you need to, but if you're in the intelligence community as an institution, you better have things in place to do everything you can to capture or identify an employee who's gone south on you.
0: Is that sort of heartbreaking to have to investigate one of your own or to just be in on that, or like you just said, to work with somebody and then to hear afterwards that they were, uh, you know, enemy of the country?
1: It's a gut punch, um, no question about it. And there's this natural tendency in the intelligence community when you get word of a mole somewhere, someone's spying somewhere, you've got sources telling you, you've got to leak, something's leaking. And um, there's a natural human tendency to go, well, it's not us. Yeah. <laughs> it's, not, it's not us. It's got to be this other agency over here. You know, <laughs> that's, how, that's how that works. And you've got to assemble a task force multi-agency task force that doesn't affiliate doesn't want doesn't think that way just thinks let's look at the evidence and where is it pointing regardless of the agency but a a mole hunt is ugly because if you get it wrong you're tossing people upside down in their careers upside down and you might be wrong yeah yeah
0: I uh, just want to switch gears a little bit because uh, just talking about some of the stuff we were earlier going on lately with uh, gun violence in this country. Mm. Um, you know, again, with your uh, knowledge of crime and how things work, do you do you think there is an entry-level solution to gun control, or do you think it's just going to continue to spiral out of control?
1: So, um, it's funny, you... You know, we just talked about how we try to avoid politics and how apolitical I am, and yet I still, even though the minute the minute you mentioned gun control, I I just inside me I cringed because that that's where we are in America, which is to automatically assume that that's a political discussion or that's a political issue, and. Again, I I have to say, I don't look at these issues politically. I look at them as national security threats. So what does that mean with regard to gun control? And by the way, I use the phrase gun enforcement or gun safety. And I do that deliberately because of the politics and the connotation in the United States. If you say gun control, you've already alienated half of the people you're
0: talking to.
1: You're going to control my gun? Right. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's got enforcement and gun safety. And yes, I, we all think we can do better at some gun enforcement and increased safety. So where's the solutions? Look, there are few and far between, but there has been some progress made around the fringes, the edges of this gun enforcement, gun safety issue. What do I mean by that? Congress has you know, passed. I mean, it takes absolute tragedies and school shootings to get anything done. And even then, not enough is done by far. But you get you get certain things outlawed. Um, You get certain things um, um, that are reined in. And so people on the street, you know, you, you say, where's the solution? If you look at surveys of Americans, that's where the solution is, because the vast majority of Americans will tell you, yeah, we don't want the wrong people getting their hands on guns. No, we don't think terrorists should have guns. No, we don't think mentally ill people should have guns. No. Um, in fact, they think it's a disgrace to, to legitimate gun owners who are safe with their guns. Yes, we think you should lock a gun up um, around children. You know, that's that's easy stuff, seemingly. But yet, um, our lawmakers uh, are, are no longer representing the majority of Americans, according to polls on these issues. So the solution would simply be, it's not so simple, for our legislators to look look at their constituents and what they want and go, yeah, okay, I get it, I get it, there is room here for increased enforcement and increased safety. Um, And, you know, the gun of choice in most mass shootings happens to be an assault weapon. Should we get better at assault weapons? Should should we raise the age, the minimum age you can get a weapon? Because if you look at these mass shootings, it's very young people, very Mm -hmm. young people. 18, 19, 20. Could we make it 21 and cut some of it out? Yes, we could. Um, you know, the the, the 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 agency in the United States responsible for just enforcing existing laws is uh, the ATF, and they've got about 3,000 agents. That's it. That I mean, we have that at a high school football game. I was going
0: to say, it's not nearly so, enough.
1: It's ridiculous. Um and those agents also get posted around the world to help try to figure out what's happening. So um we could do that. Extended magazines. Um, you know, we don't we don't need that, uh in my opinion. Um yeah, the what's on the street right now in the United States would curl your hair. And Derek, I don't think you have a lot of hair to curl. I don't. But, <laughs> I have time. I'll, I'll never forget in Cleveland we had a SWAT assignment. I went out with the team they got up inside they were executing a court-ordered search warrant they got up inside the attic of a house and there were in the attic it was filled with crates wooden crates of assault style rifles crate after crate loaded unopened and um this was a gang type investigation
0: yeah it's a ticket it's a huge (laughs) ticket um
1: yeah, and you think of what a police officer has to deal with simply pulling a car over for a traffic violation, and wondering is that one of those weapons in that car?
0: Well, I have a look at that um, that judge that just uh, that murdered his wife. He had sixty thousand rounds of ammunition and fifty fifty nine or fifty seven um, you know guns and rifles just handy.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's um, yeah more guns than people in the United States. Strange. Strange
0: which you know what i, I would say anybody because again I, i'm all for everyone having their rights and all that but uh, in the spring my wife and i we stayed at uh, mandalay bay in las vegas uh mainly because i mean that happened i think in five five or six years ago right and uh it was still it was discounted so you know obviously we saved some money on our trip and all that but i would encourage anybody i mean you've probably, you've done this at a thousand different crime scenes i would imagine you know when i was walking around that property and i was walking down the floors and looked at the rooms and look where the people downstairs It's horrifying to think when you're actually standing in that spot, you could just be sitting there having a drink, having something to eat, and then all of a sudden, you know, it's over.
1: Just go to a country music concert, as those innocent people did, out in the open, have a good time in Vegas, and end up uh, running for your life or losing your life. Um, Every one of these things, there's something that progresses out of it. And in that case, you're describing the shooting out of the window of the Mandalay Bay Hotel in Vegas. The hotel industry is very impressive in Vegas with regards to security, truly impressive. And they got better um, after that. They studied that. The hotel corporate hotel security types really implemented some things across the board there that are really helpful. Um, lots of intel and eyes on people as they check in, or keep checking in. Different luggage, uh, too much, too much uh, baggage and luggage for one person in a room. And then, That's just, man. yeah, right. And with regard to right, yeah, no, no suitcase full of shoes for the guy. Right. I travel with
0: um, one small bag, and I'm fine. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Um, and with regard to housekeeping. That guy had basically put out the do not disturb sign for days, days.
0: Yeah, I saw that. And,
1: you know, in Vegas, at least now, they've got some rules about knocking on that door and going in um, if too many days have passed with the do not disturb. So there's a lot of different things going on there that that I think will be helpful moving forward. But you can't, look, you can't uh, secure against all threats and risks. You can only mitigate their threat and their
0: risk. Crazy. There was one last thing I wanted to talk to you about because I know you're a busy guy. Um, I was reading that the FBI now is actually using DNA in Maui with, I mean, wildfires in this country is insane because, you know, I'm from Canada and we're having a horrible, some of our, our wildfire smoke has actually gone over and is blanketing the United Kingdom. But uh, the FBI now is actually using DNA in Maui to match family members to deceased remains found in the fire. Once again, with, the mass, you know, horror that is, where would you even start?
1: This is interesting. Um, Again, not entirely known by many people. I actually, um, back when I had my podcast, I actually did an entire episode with um, the leading DNA, one of the leading DNA scientists in the FBI laboratory, uh, a PhD scientist who explained the concept of rapid DNA to me. And you might be shocked to learn that, they can get a DNA match now in something like uh, an hour and 15 minutes or something. It's just unbelievable. So where did rapid this concept of rapid DNA come from and get perfected? It got perfected by the FBI in a uh, tragic hurricane that hit the Bahamas years ago. And so you have this utter devastation. You have families searching for their loved ones, uh, unaccounted for. Um, they've been out in the heat and the elements and uh, buried and crushed under homes and things. And so you can't readily identify. And so what the FBI did was say, look, we're gonna use this as a test bed. We're gonna go down there and we're going to test this concept of ours called rapid DNA. We're gonna ask family members with missing loved ones to come in and provide a DNA sample. And then we're gonna try to take DNA from all of the human remains and we're gonna try and match it and they did it worked the concept worked and it worked fast unbelievable yeah and so um you know what does that mean for us all of us you know you can hold a person at a police station let's say the police detain you you're refusing to give up your name right or true name and they can only hold you say for an hour maybe two hours depending on what the law is there um then i gotta kick you loose well in many police departments now across the country They are using this um, test kit. They swab the inside of your cheek. They stick it in a digital device that zaps your DNA profile to the FBI database. And in an hour or so, here comes, you know, your true name and the fact that you're wanted for rape in five states. So the next step someday would be to actually perhaps put that in police vehicles and again refuse to give up uh, your id you know under certain lawful circumstances that's where we are so how does that apply to maui fbi has been out there um has been tr- i understand reportedly has been tremendously helpful in getting the numbers down i, I you know you may have heard first numbers of missing people a thousand eight hundred yeah. now i guess the last time i looked maybe it's 300 and a lot of that came from fbi boots on the ground taking dna samples from uh loved ones with missing family members and then being able to match some DNA now that's quite a task you know that's not a hurricane that's a fire that may have incinerated the human remains so um you're working sometimes with with dental records or teeth um skull bones and things but yeah the work there has been phenomenal
0: yeah that's crazy all right, everybody. He does not want to be a politician, even though he'd still be perfect for it. So do not vote for him. But his name is Frank McGlusey. Check out his podcast, uh, The Bureau. Uh, it's everywhere. Buy the book, The FBI Way. And follow him on Twitter because he's fantastic at Frank frankmcglusey One. And watch him on TV, NBC, MSNBC. Just uh, go follow him on Twitter; he'll tell you where he is. Mr. Figluzzi, thank you so much.
1: Thank, Derek. I'm glad we could do this. And if anybody's interested, they can check out my website, frankfigluzi.com, and even sign up for alerts. So if I, you know, have an appearance on uh, on NBC or MSNBC, or I drop a new column that I've written, I have an appearance coming up. You can go to my website homepage. Scroll down and sign up for alerts. You can also catch me on Instagram, frank.figluzzi. I'm glad we could do it, Derek. Thank you.
0: That's awesome. Thank you so much. Yes, www.frankfigluzzi.com. I'm sorry I forgot to put that in there. But yes, definitely sign up for alerts because uh, this guy's dynamite everywhere. Thanks, Frank.
1: Take care. Be safe.
0: You too.